everybody. This is Take the Movie and Run. I'm Curry Chandler. And I'm Caroline Chandler. This is the inaugural episode of our podcast. So uh, because it's the first one ever, we need to explain what it is we're doing here right at the top. So Caroline, how would you describe the idea behind this podcast that we're doing? Um, I would describe it as you want to make me suffer. Okay. Um, okay. Can you can you elaborate some? Yeah, okay. You give people some context. Why, okay, why do you say that the idea behind this is that I want you to suffer? Okay. So here it is. I I don't like Woody Allen movies. Hate me, love me. I don't like them. My husband here uh, loves every single one and uh, unconditionally loves them. I think sometimes more than me. Uh, so anyway, he said, you know, let's, let's start this journey together. Let's, let's watch every single Woody Allen and we'll see if at the end you still, uh, dislike him the way you do right now. And I thought, you know, it's a good experiment and, uh, I'm willing to sacrifice my life force and soul, uh, in order to fulfill this for the listeners. Okay. Well, I hope it won't come to that. I hope that we're able to do this podcast without you sacrificing, uh, either your life force or your soul. Probably both. Uh, I, uh, okay, that's that, that's that's a good introduction to the podcast. I, I, I want to make a, a, a few amendments. Um, so, so Caroline has has declared herself as not. You'd say you're not a, not a Woody Allen fan. I am not a fan of Woody Allen movies. Um, okay, we'll get into that more later. Um, now, you, you said that I love every Woody Allen movie unconditionally. I would I would disagree with that. Um, I do like many Woody Allen movies. Um, but there are, uh, I do not, I do not love them all. I don't like them all. Uh, there are some real stinkers. There are some real stinkers. But part of what I, part of what I do, um, appreciate about Woody Allen and why I think he's an interesting director. Uh, one of the most interesting American directors, in my opinion, is that he's made so many movies for the last, uh, 30 plus years. He's, he's essentially, he's made a movie a year. So that's one of the. So I do like Woody Allen movies. The idea behind this podcast is not that I'm going to uh, torture my wife or have her watch every movie, uh, Woody Allen movie, until she likes them. But um, with Woody Allen, you have an oeuvre, or a body of work, right? A corpus. You have, mm-hmm. And you have so many films to watch. Um, that alone to me is fascinating that you have this director who has, for several decades now, been essentially making a film a year. That in itself is a unique achievement, and um, I thought it would be good fodder. Um, and I have, and I've seen every one. I've seen every Woody. Yeah, I haven't, um, but that's just because I don't like Woody's. Um, but you know, I agree with you. I do think this is an interesting sort of experiment um, to see if maybe I can maybe appreciate them. A little bit more or find something in them maybe I didn't find superficially the first time around. And I'm all for seeing if I can uh, get to that point. I think it's really interesting. I, I'm really um, looking forward to how my opinion changes over the course of this. Although right now, I don't know if I foresee that, you know, given our first film, but we'll see. And let me offer that I'm I, I'm open to my opinion changing as well. So let's let's get to it we'll we'll begin this experiment on 
uh, uh, mutual ground in the sense that maybe my opinion will change. Maybe I'll end up not not being uh, uh, not liking Woody Allen films as much as I as I do now. Yes. So we'll see. So, um, so, the, so the idea behind this podcast that Caroline and I are going to be doing is that we're going to watch every Woody Allen movie, and then we're going to talk about them. How we're doing this? So, we talked about different ways to uh, to to go at the Woody Allen filmography. There's 47 films by my count, so we're only doing films that Woody Allen directed, uh, not films that he um, wrote or or appeared in. And I decided to exclude New York stories since uh, he did just a third of that film. I think the other two were Scors- uh, Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola. So essentially we're going to be watching the 46 feature-length films that uh, Woody Allen directed. How does that sound? Does that sound like a lot of movies? Yeah, it sounds like a lot. Um, but, you know, for science. For science. We talked about how we might go through the filmography. Uh, should we do it uh, chronologically? You could also do it thematically. What I decided would be more interesting than doing just a straight... Because, okay, if we did it chronologically, then you start with the early Woodies and you can see how he changed his director, you know, h- how the films evolved over the years. Um, but Woody Allen's filmogra- filmography also lends itself to a thematic um, organization where you can look at the comedies, the dramas, the films that are um, um, Birdman ripoffs, you know, um, films that he stars in uh, versus films that, that are featuring other actors. So what we decided to do was to, to go through the filmography at random. So, Caroline, what is our amazing system for um, randomly going through the Woody Allen filmography? Um, well, there's a... a off brand because I don't want to say the brand name bag plastic bag uh, that we put every single movie title on a piece of paper ripped it up put it in the bag and we're da 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 drawing them like average people you know just normal people so that's the system that's how it's going to work from um, from episode to episode. At the end of each episode, we're going to draw what next week's episode will be. Now, before we get into the, our first Woody, mm-hmm. and that's what I'll be calling the films from time to time, we uh, we almost titled the podcast Take the Woody and Run, but I thought that yeah, that that's would... might attract a different audience. Yeah, it doesn't sound so great. Yeah. Um, are, what are the re- Why do you not like Woody Allen films. What are the reasons why you respond negatively to Woody Allen? I just don't find uh, that they connect to what to me, they seem like they're, um, which I think they are. And I think all movies kind of are, but it's just so blatantly clear. I feel like in Woody Allen movies is they're, they're movies made for by Woody Allen for Woody Allen. They're not made for an audience. Um, and I don't, I, I don't want to, spend my time or my money, um, you know, trying to experience a movie through somebody else's eyes. I just want to go. I, I want to have a good story. I want it to be beautiful. And every movie to me is another struggle of Woody Allen trying to either explain to you what type of person he is, um, and have you understand that even though we all know you are Woody Allen, 
We all know who you are. We get it. We have 47 films. You know? Um, it, they just seem very uh, they just seem very superficial to me. All right. Now, you are, you're an appreciator of art. I am. I do like art. Okay. So, um, so isn't there an argument for uh, uh, an understanding of the artist and their relationship to art as um, an expression of themselves? So, so this idea that an artist produces a work to say to the world, to communicate their, their experience, their, uh, um, their take on, on the human condition, what it is to be a but human But I just being. don't think, uh, I, I don't think that that's what Woody Allen is doing. To me, he seems like a person who is maybe just a little bit trying to still figure out who he is. At age 82 or At whatever. At age 80, yeah. Well, you know, he's still figuring it out. Because to me, it's But aren't just, we all? Is it, isn't yeah, that okay? We, we, isn't, we are, I mean, we're on this big ball together. Should, shouldn't you... I'm just saying, it just should, seems, it, you know, it just seems like I, I, every Woody Allen movie I've seen uh, before a podcast, um, which I'm going to say BP from now on because that's, you know, our timeline. Um, it just, at the end of the movie, I just say to myself, like, okay, man, I get it. I get it. You know, like, you can go watch any like okay you're, if you're gonna watch a ridley scott aliens yeah they're all gonna be kind of the same do you know what i mean oh yeah i just saw the trailer for yeah the where they're all gonna be the same it's literally but, the same um but there something about this like you can have an identity as a director and that can be clear and present in all of your movies so that you can see you know watch a movie and be like oh yeah this is so this is christopher nolan i get it this is very clearly him but I'm not watching Christopher Nolan try and figure out who Christopher Nolan is. You know, I'm yeah. not going to therapy. If I'm go- if I want to go to Woody Allen's therapy sessions, I want him to pay me fifteen dollars. No, I, okay. No, I think that no, that I think is a, is a fair point, and that's one that's been levied at um, artists in a variety of media, which is that there needs to be a line between entertainment and therapy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, there's a line between working your stuff out, working your issues out, and um, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know, a creative work that's presented He's to a, a wide audience. If, if Woody Allen wanted to have a pet project, or, uh, or even a few, of movies that he really labored to, to give you his essence in a way that wasn't really meant for entertainment, but meant as a way to channel like him to the people who view him that would be okay but like i don't need to see it every october and and again and and you're not seeking these movies out because the the response to what you're saying is well then don't watch his movies and of course for the purpose of our they seem, experiment you oh, are going I gotta to watch all you're going to be watching all of them i they seem they seem like that lady at the birthday party that just just eats the buttercream icing but she doesn't eat the cake <laughs> you know they just like, hey, this is this is what a movie is. This is a general idea of how you make them, and here it is. But I don't like buttercream. I like the cake. I like all of it together. That's what makes a cake good. Okay, not just the buttercream icing. And every time I watch them, I feel like I leave yearning for some original storyline or some actual really deep character that either you know I can relate to or really pulls on my emotions all all of the characters I've ever really seen are 
it's like right before you get to the cake. You know, like you feel even in, I have some great examples from this movie. Okay, so before we're going to get into the, our first movie very soon, uh, I just want to say uh, to give my take really quickly. Um, I appreciate uh, uh, Woody Allen from the perspective of, as of an auteur, somebody who has a um, very well established voice, um, a very established style. And then I'll admit that also the fact that he has he's made so many movies. I appreciate the fact that. Um, he, you can kind of um, immerse yourself in them and talk about this single director uh, uh, in, in the perspective of this huge body of work. So let me just really quickly, as a point of comparison, um, are, are you a fan of the James Bond films? Do you like James Bond movies? Well, yeah, I do. Okay, so you like James Bond. I remember a few years ago, you and I um, were in, we were, we were seeing Skyfall yeah. in the theaters. That's really wasn't great. But- uh, okay, so Skyfall. Look, it was a beautiful film. I was I was appreciating the visuals, watching it, but it wasn't doing anything for me. Uh, I, I was kind of bored. It was just hitting the all the same beats that you know a James Bond movie is going to hit. Right. There's going to be some action scenes in exotic locales. There's going to be um, uh, women, the Bond girls. Um, there's going to be a villain and, and, and a cool car and a cool well, and a cool car and Bond's Bond's going to win. He's going to save the days and that's that's the movie. Um, but you go there knowing that that's what you're going to get and the satisf- the satisfaction uh, uh, of those expectations is, I think, what people get out of those films. And specifically in Skyfall, there's a scene where um, uh, towards the end of the movie, a uh, spoiler alert for Skyfall. Spoiler alert. Um, He's got to get the cool car, and he opens the garage door, and it's, I forget if it's an, probably an Aston Martin, but it's like a, a classic Bond car. And everybody in this theater, all these people are going, ooh, yeah, there's the car. Ooh, there it is. And people are getting excited. I'm just like, come on. Like, for the reveal of, a, of the brand, the make of a car. And, and to me, I was, that was very, uh, uh, well, I, I get what you're saying, but you're, you're trying to compare, um, Woody Allen's discussions, which are relationships and 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 you know his and religion not, and I'm family, not, okay, to no, boobs so, and a, and cars. No, exactly. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just using them as a comparison. That pe- some people want to see uh, gadgets and stunts and uh, uh, sexy women and and suave sexy men and and all that, and that's fine. Um, what I enjoy, what I like about the Woody Allen movies is specifically that I'm going to get these themes. I'm going to get uh, uh, neurotic people talking about uh, 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 monogamy and relationships and existentialism. Um, and then I also respond just to the, the basic formal component. So when a Woody Allen movie starts and I see the Windsor typeface in the opening credits and Dixieland Jazz is playing and the, the cast is shown alphabetically, that to me I respond to. And I, I like that. That to me is comforting in the same way that those beats of a Bond film are comforting. So I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just distinguishing between... Well. Yeah, what different know, people get from different movies. They do, they also get it, but you know, Bond people also get it every four to six years. Where Woody Allen you get it every. I think he's watering down his own brand. Okay, so so that th- we'll have a chance to talk more about this. You gotta wait for that Aston Martin. You gotta wait for it. Well, that's true. I could guess be a new. Want... Could be a twenty eighteen. You don't even know. Could be something you've never seen. All right, so we drew for the first movie, and Caroline, what was the first? What was our first Woody Allen movie? It was Cafe Society. 
It was the luck of the draw. It just happened to be uh, the most the recent, the, the Woody Allen's most recent film. It came out in 2016. Um, yeah, Caroline, what uh, in a couple of sentences? What is what's the what is the movie about? Um, young New Yorker wants to go out to Hollywood in the 30s. His uncle just so happens to be the head of a major. Um, film house, you know, Mm -hmm. goes out there and just experiences 1930s Hollywood in all of its glitz and glamour. And relationship drama. Yeah, I mean, okay, that's a good good, uh, summary of the film. Um, Caroline, did you like Cafe Society? I I did not. I, I didn't like it. I can't, I really wanted to, you know. I really. Oh, and spoiler! Here we should before we get into it. Um, I also don't like the movie. Um, That's not a spoiler. I, 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 I think it's okay. Um, there's far. I'll say this: there are far. When I was putting the the, the titles into our drawing bag, I, there were certain ones where I was thinking, oh, "Please don't God, yeah. don't let this be the first movie we have to talk oh, about." Oh, it was. Yeah. Um, Right here, spoiler alert, and and by the way, if people haven't seen the movie, do you think they should see it before they listen to this podcast? Well, I mean, I want people to suffer with me, so sure, yeah, watch it. I mean, it's like an hour and 36 minutes, but I mean, if you're you're trying to think of a movie you're going to pull up on the Netflix with the date, I wouldn't let it be Cafe Society. That is for sure. All right, let's get into the movie. Yeah, let's Um, break it down. Why I'm right? Okay, I mean, look, I'm, 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 I'm not saying you're wrong. What, what, what keeps you from liking the movie? What were some of the things? What were some of the things that you noticed while watching it? Um, I there was next to no character development. I mean, I was expected to know everything about every character automatically. So the main character is played by Jesse Eisenberg. Woody Allen does not appear in the movie. He does narrate. And he narrates it terribly, well, in my in my opinion. Okay, why, why do you say, t- what was terrible with the narration? The opening narration to this movie was, it almost made me flash back to having to read a book report out loud in middle school. It was so... It it was like it it was like a sixth grader reading a drama scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just like oh, and now we're in the thirties, and it was to me it was unnecessary. They open in this uh, to a scene of a luxurious nineteen thirties Hollywood, Hollywood pool Hills party mansion. Yes, you know everybody's wearing the dresses, and and so Woody Allen is basically telling you, and here we are at a pool party in the Hollywood Hills, a totally unnecessary. Could have been, you could have zoomed the camera across and you could have instantaneously figured that out. To me, it instantly made me feel as a viewer that I was uh, stupid, <laughs> that I wouldn't have picked that up. So I also thought the opening, opening narration was very bad. It was very it, bad. It, to me, it, it um, I, I wasn't offended by it, but to, uh, to me, it seems very first draft. It was like, come on, do a rewrite of this. This is, it, it, it sounded exactly like. He he put it down on paper and then that was it. That's, that's it. And that's Got what it. Went with. Cut. Next movie. Um, we're in the Hollywood Hills and the colors were beautiful. 
It was glamorous. It was glitz and glamour. It was like, it, and the colors were color by Technicolor. I mean, that's pretty close to an actual line from the narration. He says things like, uh, uh, the splendor of the of the Hollywood Hills parties. If you you know that you think that they were that amazing, well, they were. Yeah, I saw it with my eyes. I saw it with my eyes about eighteen seconds before he said it with his mouth. It was unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary. We're introduced right away to um, so Steve. So Jesse Eisenberg is is our protagonist, but we first meet Steve Carell, who is playing Phil Stern. Who's playing Phil Stern? He is Jesse Eisenberg's uncle. uncle. And so the the um, and I actually have to look up what Eisenberg, what his character's last name was, because this is also something about Woody Allen's narration is that. It doesn't give you any necessary information. Well, okay, but we need to talk about that later. He's a little mush-mouthed. I, I, I think it's fine. He's the guy's eighty-two, I think. Um, it, but it's a, a a little difficult to understand. So I was never sure whether Jesse Eisenberg's his character's last name was Dorfman or Goffman. I I, I actually, couldn't I couldn't I didn't commit either of those to memory, so it could be neither. I don't um, know. We don't know. Let's just call him Bobby. Oh, it doesn't even say on... It might not even exist. It doesn't even say on IMDb. So I still don't know. probably don't even know. We were introduced first to Steve Carell, who's a big-time producer, wheeling and dealing. Um, did you know that Steve Carell was not the original actor in that part? No, I didn't. Who was it? He was originally Bruce Willis. That I would I would have thought was a really bad casting choice. That does seem like really bad casting. Yeah, it does. But, you know, sometimes Bruce Willis does those things where it's like, oh... It's a very anti-Bruce Willis-y role. But you know what? Those movies, those are, movies aren't good. So well, well, we, <laughs> maybe we, that's why they passed. We know he can do comedy we, from Hudson Hawk, which is a, a hilarious film. Uh, Bruce Willis, I found uh, some sources say that he left the movie because of scheduling conflicts. Other sources say that... Um, he knew that, it was a stinker. Well, uh, other sources say that the, the cast was uh, tired of his behavior and his inability to remember his lines. Ooh. All I will say is that allegedly, I don't know, I don't know Bruce Willis, I've never been on any of these sets, but I, uh, other directors have told stories about how difficult Bruce Willis well, can be on set. I can only imagine Bruce Willis interacting with Woody Allen. I mean, if Woody Allen is giving anybody any sort of direction that's anywhere so close to that narration... I mean, how could anybody follow him? But that seems like terrible casting. Like, as, as unbelievable or at least un, as uninteresting as the love triangle in this film is, when it's uh, well, a, 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 a Kristen Stewart torn between yeah. Jesse Eisenberg and Ooh, Steve yeah. Carell, can you imagine if it was Jesse Eisenberg and Bruce Willis? I actually think a younger woman falling in love with Bruce Willis is more... More believable? Believable, because at least he's like... I don't know. Does I, doesn't he have a young girlfriend now? I don't know. Maybe maybe like life imitates art. I can believe it. Steve Carell is a charming guy. Steve Carell is actually I really I actually really enjoy him in this role. So right, and I'll say I'll say the same thing. I think I think yeah, Steve I think Carell he, he was a good fit actually is is a good fit in the role. Steve Carell's at a party. He gets a call from um, his sister Rose. Um, who's played by Jeannie Berlin? Who I'll just say I thought was uh, excellent. Yeah, I, 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 she's one of the strong points really of good. the film for me. But uh, right away, you get very clumsy exposition. So we're coming from yeah. very awkward narration into very clumsy exposition, where he answers the phone and she says it's Rose, and he says Rose, and she says yes, your sister. 
Okay, so we got it. All right. Okay. Sister. Establishing the relationship. Then says, you know, Jesse Eisenberg's coming out to L.A. And he goes, who? And she says, my son, your nephew. Yeah, see, also making me feel stupid as a viewer. Well, I mean, making... Like, oh, 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 wait. That would make him the nephew. Thank you for that. It just seemed... It just seemed... It seems like somebody that's trying to fill up a word count. So we... <laughs> get to that 500 word count. So we transition to a scene with some more Woody Allen uh, narration. A car pulls up in front of a, a, a L.A. apartment building, and Jesse Eisenberg steps out. And as soon as Jesse Eisenberg was on the screen, Caroline said, and I wrote it down, Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I hate Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> Listen, I don't like him, but, and, and, and this is because, as I'm stumbling around here like Jesse Eisenberg, it's, it's because Jesse Eisenberg to me is one of those actors I can never or have never been able to see as the character. Another person, Will Smith, let, let, let me in on that fact. I've never watched a Will Smith movie and been like, oh, that's whoever i don't know you're saying they don't don't disappear they don't disappear into their roles you just see the actor jesse eisenberg's roles are always given to him when they need some somebody with an an outstanding neuroses like i need somebody that can channel woody allen who am i going to call jesse eisenberg okay and i will say that i i think that's true and i'm okay with that i enjoy the woody allen nevish character that he that he um uh developed in his films and that he had has absolutely cast other actors who then are can do it embodying that yeah. and we're and we're going to get a chance to doing uh, watching all these films to talk about some of them from the good to the bad so you have um kenneth Branagh does it in in celebrity which i think is is fascinating to watch um, uh, what is, what's the Owen, Owen Wilson does a West coast version in, um, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. midnight in Paris. Yeah. Yes, I do. I remember thinking like, oh, he is like Woody Allen. Um, and who's, uh, 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 not, uh, American pie, the, the actor, Jason Biggs. Jason Biggs in anything else is, um, yeah, I mean, they exist, they're out there, but it's, it's to me, this is like, if you, it's like Woody Allen on crack is Jesse Eisenberg. It's like, it almost is weird, like, somehow, you know, he has, he has channeled his soul into Jesse Eisenberg, and it's, to me, I just, I can't see him as a character. I just can't. So, another Caroline quote in, uh, 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 there's a scene where uh, Jesse Eisenberg has a working girl, a prostitute, come to his apartment. Which is a scene I think I, I find funny. I mean, it's. I think it is. I think it is a funny scene. It's banter. It's it snappy. It's, it's fast. It's quick. It's, it's Woody Allen. It's the only scene like line. that in this movie. There could have been other scenes that were funny and quick like that. I mean, that's but probably. They dropped the ball. That's probably true. Um, but this one was funny. I but during this scene, Caroline said, How did they beam Woody Allen's uncomfortable soul into Jesse Eisenberg? It, I mean, was, it was just like Woody Allen. That, that is what he's channeling. Now, also, at, at this point in the movie, I, I thought, This looks like. Have you ever um, been on a, a, a plane where you can, uh, not where they show a movie, but you can select the movie on the yeah. TV? And you find these movies that you've, you've never heard of it, but it's like, oh, here's a movie that stars Zoe Saldana and right. Bradley Cooper. I've yeah. never heard of this. And you watch it, and it's a piece of garbage. Yeah. Some, It's I, a contract filler. Yeah. 
This movie looks like an airplane movie to me. It looks very cheap. It, it never look looks cheap. like... I never feel like it's the 30s. I think part of that might be because... So this is the first film Woody Allen's done that was shot digitally. Oh, um, that's interesting. Rather than film. Yeah, that's really actually really interesting. And I think that's part of it is just the digital mm-hmm. look. You don't... You know what I mean? Like You don't the, feel any warmth in any of the scenes. Even though the whole movie's golden light. Yeah. Literally, there, there's scenes where people are in... You know, outside in L.A., they all have golden light on their faces. But in the background, it's like, oh, look, it's totally different light on the yeah. trees and the houses. Yeah, that's interesting. I just think there's something with the fact that it's digitally captured. Just It separates you from the period that it's supposed to take place It did place seem... In. You know, I kept... I have written in my journal, is it the 30s? Question mark, question mark, question mark. About, like, five times because... It's, you know, this is supposed to be a period piece, which is a period that a lot of people really, really love, um, you know, which is this Hollywood glamour, glitz, glamour, seems so easy to fulfill, but absolutely does not translate at all in this film. And it, it, it just looks, it looks cheap. It looks like one of these, it does. It, it, looks, it looks like one of these airplane movies, yeah. um, the, there's a handful of locations. You never get big. Uh, there's party scenes. Or is the only time you see extras. There's no street scenes yeah. really, where there's people in period. Even down on, on the, the beach, streets. when you think they would show all of, uh, what is that point to? Uh, yeah, sure. The whole. You think the, they would the, show the, that the, whole the, the LA coast? Very, very LA. You know, quintessential LA shot of Point Doom, but they only literally show this little, just enough for you to know where they are, so that you, as a, as a uh, you know person with a brain, can be like, oh. They're on that beach, like yeah. They're at the beach, la, you know. But, but it's, it's all very tight, and some of that is because they obviously they can't show more of it because it's not the thirty. You, you would notice that oh, right away, it's that's twenty sixteen. Right. There was one scene in um, Steve Carell character Steve Carell's character's house. Um, he's in his backyard and he sits down and the camera moves. And for a couple of frames, you can see the full modern LA uh, skyline, Ooh, didn't which didn't that. exist. Um, but it just feels tight and cheap for those yeah. for those reasons. So Jesse Eisenberg starts working for his uncle Steve Carell at his at his film company. They were introduced to Steve Carell's secretary, um, Vonnie, who's oh, played yeah. by Kristen Stewart. And um, just like Caroline reacted to Jesse Eisenberg's reveal, you also reacted to Kristen Stewart. Yeah, being Kristen revealed. Stewart to me is like a wet sock. Do I say more? Um, that's You're not a fan of Christmas I'm not. I'm not. But same same reason. But, you know, she's one of those people where I also don't feel like she ever transitions into the role. But she always has the knack for having this smirk like she is, she's gotcha. Like, you're having to sit here, Caroline, and watch Cafe Society. And I'm smirking because I know it's terrible. And um, you're having to watch it anyway. I don't. First of all, I don't ever feel chemistry between her or anyone in the movie. I actually feel anti. If you can feel anti chemistry between the two, I'm not a fan of Kristen Stewart. I'm not a fan of her acting ability or her look. And, and I don't want to be unfair. I mean, I'll say that that um, Leonardo DiCaprio is another person who I don't think is a good actor. Right. Um, although I, that's at a div, way different that's level. That's the next than podcast because I like Leo. But it's not that Kristen Stewart is not. She she does act. You know what I'm saying? She's not a she terrible does. actress. She's not a terrible actress, but she is also not a great actress. She is acting, but she's not acting well. And one thing that you pointed out when we were watching the movie was that she has a go-to, which is biting. Yes, yeah, she lower does lip. bite her lower lip, but that's not. 
I, I you know, I, I tried to think after we watched this movie, when is the last time I, in normal humor, human interaction, bit my lower lip? Um, and the only thing I could think of was when my lips were really chapped, like a week ago. It's 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 yeah. If it's not because your lips are chapped, it's basically only an affectation. It's it's a weird thing that seems. Ooh, and it's just like I just imagine her in her trailer, like oh, I got it, and then I'm gonna look at him and I'm gonna bite my lower lip, and it just it just seems so. All of it seems so superficial. So Kristen Stewart shows Jesse Eisenberg around. He falls in love with her right away. We know this because he tells us immediately, I'm in love with her. Yes, because um, we can't follow that. No. Um, she, she her, her character says that he's uh, sweet, and she says that you have a deer in the headlights quality, which I thought was a funny line. And there's opportunities later in the film to bring that back, and they just don't do it. Yeah, that is interesting. I also thought that this is... So this came out the same year as La La Land. Yeah, well, it also is extremely similar to La La Land. It, Which one came first? Um, somebody was sharing notes. Somebody was somebody was peeking notes on La La Land. I don't think anybody was sharing Do notes. Do you like jazz? I like jazz, too. Well, okay, but uh, see... La La Land. Uh, oh. What's his name? Damien Chazelle loves jazz. He's made a couple or several movies now with jazz. Woody Allen also we have we known. All, we for, all know that he loves jazz. He loves jazz. See our intro asterisk. But see some of the complaints that um, that that aspiring actresses um, in Hollywood had about La La Land were that um, well for one thing that that also spoiler alert for La La Land. Uh, Emma Stone's character goes from literally never having had a part working in a coffee shop to um, gets noticed, gets a role, and becomes like the biggest, yeah, one of the biggest actresses ever. The Madonna of Hollywood. So aside from that being kind of an unrealistic arc for her or, or progress, um, there were s- several act, uh, uh, women in L.A. trying to get break into acting said that she doesn't have to do any of the demeaning things that they regularly have to do. Whereas I felt like you got uh, this movie has more of a sense of people being desperate of, of the sexism in Hollywood. Um, I think it's very light. I, well, it's you very get, light. You get the one okay. You get the one girl who's on her first kick as a prostitute. I don't recall ever feeling that grit anywhere else in the movie. And even that scene is is a is a is a comedy. So that's not even like oh girls got to work because they can't. They're not hot enough. It was like oh it was not even meant to it's, show you that. It it's was, not a serious social critique. You're right. It's, no, it's all very. It was light. A, it was a slapstick scene. It was. It's, I mean, it was a great. Speaking scene. of slapstick, at one point, you know, I I was taking notes watching the movie because now that we're serious film, yeah, we, we that's what have we have to do. At one point, I just wrote. Jewish humor exclamation point uh, which is something Woody Allen is known for has been known for for decades yeah, but it's like I mean, it's, holy shit like, it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot but you know it is it is 1930s Hollywood I mean it fits I mean if the, the jokes fit they don't they're never like out of their element I actually thought the the joke during the prostitute scene where he decides finally the final decision they're not going to do it because she is jewish i i thought that was really actually fantastic i think that seems really funny and um i guess what you're saying is that the jewish humor is period correct for the film which which is a good point i think it is so we find out that kristen stewart steve carell's um secretary 
um, tells Jesse Eisenberg that they can't date because she has a boyfriend. We then find out in a scene she goes to dinner, Steve Carell is the boyfriend. Oh, and I noted that you gasped. You, 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 you I did. audibly gasped I when it was revealed that it was, a good it was twist. Steve Carell. I didn't see that coming. It's a good twist. It's a good twist. It's like, oh, how are they going to get out of this one? Um, Steve Carell's married, won't break up with his wife, so um, basically tells Kristen Stewart that, you know, their relationship can't continue. Jesse Eisenberg has made um, prepared dinner for them to have at his apartment. He he gets the wine out, lets it, he's getting it ready, lets it breathe. They're going to have spaghetti and meatballs. He pours a glass of the wine. It's white wine. And Caroline looked at me and said, he was going to have white wine? <laughs> Just with, with meatballs. With it meatballs. seems so ridiculous. But when, so, so Steve Carell basically says our relationship can't continue. She goes to Jesse Eisenberg's apartment, distraught, sits down on his couch. You know, she's, she's crying and stuff. And she says, uh, can I have a glass of white wine? So I wonder if maybe they were supposed to set up that he knew she liked white wine. Yeah, yeah, that's but, interesting. But they don't set it up. Well, you know, she also only drinks white wine and, and uh, well, she drinks beer than other scenes. But when she's with Steve Carell, she, she also has white wine. So I think maybe there might have been something that was cut, like where Steve Carell orders her wine. And it's like, I got you your favorite wine or something like that. Because there are other times in the movie where Jesse Eisenberg goes, I know your favorite actor. Or, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I know these things about you. But they don't you. establish but that But they with don't the ever wine. establish that with the wine. And I just was so offended that they were going to have white wine with me. <laughs> so at this point... Um, Steve Carell and Jesse Eisenberg are not aware that they are the other man in this relationship. Only Kristen yeah. Stewart's aware. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where Steve Carell is is um, you know uh, 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 letting it all out to Jesse Eisenberg, talking about he's in love with this woman, but he's married. Blah blah blah. And he <laughs> says, "I'm I, another problem is I'm so much older than her." And I wanted to see if you had this in your in, in your notes too. He says, I'm so much older than her, I could be her father or something like that. And Jesse Eisenberg uh, responds, well, what is age? Nothing means anything if you're actually in love. Yeah, that whole scene I have an issue with. Everything about it. It could have been... Listen, when I saw the twist, which was uh, Steve Carell is, is the other man, I was like, ooh, this is kind of juicy. I could get into this. So they have this scene where, you know, Jesse Eisenberg is a deer in the headlights, doesn't know, Steve Carell also doesn't know that they're the other man. It could have been a really great, like, comedy of errors where they're each saying things and like, you know, oh, is he going to say, because it start, I started to get a little tense, like, he's going to say something finally and he's going to realize that he's the other man. Never was that tension, it, 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 that scene was written like that tension doesn't exist. Well, it ends with it. I mean, I think I think the tension was there. It's there for the audience. It could have been worked really well, and I don't think it was. We at the end of that scene. So Steve Carell comes out with all this stuff, and then he goes, "Well, how about you? How's your relationship?" And he goes, "Oh, well, I think you know, Vonnie. Thanks for introducing me to her. We're going to get married." I, 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 I get what you're saying. I think the scene had that. I mean, th- that's where the other shoe drops, and Steve Carell now becomes aware. But there of what is the no. Is. But it, he says that, and it's literally the end of the scene. It's just like you know, there's no, there's no time for even the audience to be like, oh, he said it, or sh- it, like maybe the camera should have shown Steve Carell's face where he had this like, oh shoot, that's the other guy. You know, like there was no. There was no um, release to the tension. Well, so now Steve Carell's character knows. He goes to see where now Kristen Stewart has a job as a, a, as at, a coat a, at a coat check. 
Now, here's another line I thought was really funny. So he goes there and he says, hey, listen, I am going to leave. He, he goes, the first thing he says to her, he goes up to Kristen Stewart and he says, I told um, Martha or whatever, his wife. He goes, I, I, I told my wife. And she goes, well, that was a little presumptuous. And they have this long discussion about where's the relationship going? Is she going to stay with him? And at the end of the scene, he goes, well, I, I, I don't know what to tell my wife now. And she goes, I thought you told her already. And he says, I told her that we would be speaking about a very serious matter yeah. tonight. I did think that was funny, too. A lot of that is in Steve Carell's delivery, but I, I thought yeah, that was a really Steve good Yeah, Steve Carell, line. I actually think, is he, he really has great comedic timing. He knows how to present lines in a way that they might not be uh, written to be comedic, but end up coming out really funny. Like that. Which Bruce Willis also does, although I don't... Maybe well, I mean, for, yeah, I sometimes for other reasons. And then, of course, Hudson Hawk is, is a great comedy yeah, adventure. Yeah, this is the second time you've mentioned that, so maybe we should watch that later. They, uh, they, they, they break up. Um, Jesse Eisenberg is heartbroken. He goes back to New York. Yeah. He's also been homesick for New York. His brother is a, is basically is a mobster, right? Is... is um, is the deepest character I feel like that is interesting that is created in the movie because he at least has something um, to identify with which is a cigarette which you never see him without one and it's almost like funny uh, you know if you're going as a mobster for Halloween you gotta make sure to have your prop cigarette Um, it just seemed it, it was a funny weird prop thing like he always had a cigarette but in the end I thought well that was the most character development I saw in any other character there's also a bunch of cutaways to violent scenes while where the the mobster brother is his name is Ben and um, he's whacking people and beating people up yeah and there's several scenes where people like get, get shot in the head with yeah, blood very, spurting out very graphically but, shot but all with like the light you know jazz <laughs> music playing and we're young going and then he, this guy got shot and that was crazy uh, the brother owns a nightclub, which is he. His nightclub is originally called uh, Club Hangover, which I thought was okay. That's kind of cute. Later, once Jesse Eisenberg gets involved, they change it to have a more uh, classier name, and it's La Tropique. Yeah. And when I heard that when we were watching the movie, I thought, I wonder if that's French for Hangover, because that would be a really funny joke. Someone says, "I'm glad you changed the name. It's much more exotic." It would be a really good gag if yeah. the name was just Hangover in French, but it's not. It's just La Tropique. Um, hangover in French is Gouelle de Bois, or de Bois, which literally, I guess it means like a wood. Like Gouelle de Bois. Gouelle de Bois. Gouelle de Bois. Doesn't sound like Corella de Ville. It does. <laughs> but that's, I don't know. That, that To me, that was a missed opportunity for a good gag. Like uh, Yeah, but this whole movie could probably be described as a missed uh, opportunity. Absolutely. No, I think that's true. So this is one drop in the bucket. Um, Jesse Eisenberg meets Blake Lively. Who is a beautiful human being. Uh, not even not even her beautiful body could save this movie, though. She's, she's, she's uh, very, very attractive. He starts dating her, and then there's a scene where he is... He, he basically brings up that her name is Veronica, which is just the same name as his last girlfriend. And I've now seen this movie twice. And I remember the first time I watched it, when I got to that moment, I was like, wait a minute, Kristen Stewart's character's name was Veronica? Yeah, I didn't catch that. never caught it. It happened to me again the second time. Yeah, you never realized I was like, her oh, her name is, he calls her Vonnie for short, for Veronica, but she is introduced to us as Vonnie. So both times I've seen this movie, I think Kristen Stewart's character's name is Bonnie with a B. Oh, congratulations, you got played. I got played. It's Bonnie. But no, the Woody Allen played himself. Yeah, you, it's never established. That's supposed to be like a big thing later on. That 
Oh, yeah, she now falls just, in love with it's another not Veronica. Developed. It's just an underdeveloped uh, little twist. Another thing is Jesse Eisenberg's sister, who he writes letters to when he's in California, is introduced in the narration as Eveline, but then Jesse Eisenberg only calls her Evelyn. So that's another. Oh. It was just like there was yeah. some miscommunication there. I, so I didn't realize the Bonnie, Vonnie, Veronica connection. Another thing I noticed is that Blake Lively talks about a jazz musician she used to date who smoked reefers and that he called reefers muggles. Did you catch that? I did, and I thought, why is that a? Th- I, got, I meant to look that up. Thank you for writing that down. Yeah. Is did you look it up? Is muggles, I, 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 is I muggles did, what people call reefer in the '30s? If not, that's ridiculous. I, I thought they called it tea. <laughs> no, that's true. Is it? Oh. Yeah. I didn't know if you were trying to No, T was a... So did, oh, did you find any evidence of calling it muggles? No. I Is mean, Blake could... Lively going to be in the new Fantastic Beasts movies? I, I'm, I, I... Is it a plug? Is I imagine... J.K. Rowling funded this movie? I imagine that that's correct. That's, that that is a, was a period-specific slang for marijuana. But um, I just... I wonder if that is where J.K. Rowling got... Um, Muggle from, of course, Muggle is a British phrase for non-magic, non-wizards. In the U.S., we learned uh, in the terrible fan fiction we're getting now, the expanded universe of Harry Potter, which is terrible. In America, they're called nomage, which is probably they use nomage because they in America we use Muggle to mean yeah. marijuana cigarette. Oh yeah, because you don't want to call people marijuana no. cigarettes. Re- it's not reefer madness over here in the U.S. You know, they, they should have called um, uh, non-magic users um, roaches. Oh, in the U.S., so that would have been That's another. That's why I married you. You're so funny. You also said at one point, I don't know if I even want me saying that about Kristen Stewart. Oh no, you can say that. I'll actually say it. There was one scene. Okay, they they go to. You have to use the actual number. <laughs> what is that? Fifty six. Fifty six. I was very specific in the statistic. I think you all will enjoy. So at one point. Um, you know, Jesse Eisenberg, he's running La Trapique. He's now become a big shot. He's making a bunch of money. And he's now like the it boy of, well, I guess, it man, if you can call Jesse Eisenberg a man. Ooh, uh, easy, I know. Easy. Sorry, I have to. Um, you know, he's the big shot there in New York. And at one point, his uncle comes with Kristen Stewart um, to visit and they go to the club because that's where they would go. I mean, that was the place where everybody was going. And they come in and they have an extremely awkward exchange. Um, And then later, uh, you know, Jesse Eisenberg leaves and then Kristen Stewart comes up to him and says, you know, like, hey, one-on-one, I wanted to say hi and see how you were doing. I don't know if she hadn't slept for I don't know, you know, when you, you you go to the mall and you get a glamour shot, they hit you with some light, it makes you look real good. Or you use a Snapchat filter, you don't have under eye circles. Um, let me see the exact statistic because I want to make sure I get it right. In that scene, Kristen Stewart uh, looked like she was about fifty six percent of the way. Uh, through the face melting scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was, that was Caroline turned to me in the movie. Said she looks like she's fifty six percent through the Raiders of the Lost Ark face melting scene. I mean, just to be it equal was, opportunity. She looked, she looked rough. And you know what? She I, looked it, lovely. It, 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 she didn't. You can tell the truth. This is our podcast, and she was supposed to be now the wife of a multi-million dollar person in the movie industry and you want me to think that somebody is going to look that way in the 30s i mean like it was so to me so unbelievable like that we couldn't get some under eye concealer or something on her 
it, she just seemed so, her color seemed washed out. You know, she she had a pale dress on. It just, there was no magic there. I just when thought, she was meant to represent now the wife of this man who, like, was running Hollywood. I mean, it seemed I, very unbelievable. I will not to be, not to, not to be too mean to, to Kristen Stewart, who's a... Who's I mean, a, she's a beautiful a, human. She, she's a beautiful woman. But when, um, at that point in the movie... When she re-enters Jesse Eisenberg's life, and he's now married to Blake Lively, who is a beautiful woman. I'm like, I don't see what it, you're I don't. Yeah, I, I, right. It's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. No matter what history had, you have, had the movie sold their connection in right, the first part, but they didn't. it would have been enough. Yeah, but there's not enough of their chemistry for me to say. Whereas him, Blake, and uh, I just. They also have no chemistry. Well, to me, Blake Lively, uh, she was trying. I could tell in the scenes she was really see, trying. The difference to get is there. we see him being charming to Blake Lively, whereas in all the scenes, in the in the early scenes where he's getting to know Kristen Stewart and is interested in her, it's just awkward and uncomfortable. And he's no, he's awkward to, and uncomfortable. With Blake Lively too. I, I don't she's know. just an adult. He's so. he's 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 being. I, I may even be argue the point that maybe there's accidental character development uh, because of of the acting there. Hmm. Interesting. So Jesse Eisenberg's mobster brother gets caught for murdering a guy. He gets collared. And um, here we get a a sequence of a few minutes, a few scenes um, dealing with one of of the key themes across Woody Allen's whole career is death and uh, uh, the ways that people rationalize it relate to the idea of um, deal with mortality, relate to the idea of, of an afterlife. So th- here's another one I think was a very funny scene where, you know, so this is obviously a Jewish family, but on, on death row, the mobster brother converts to uh, Catholicism. Which I thought was, was uh, kind of not funny, but interesting little thing. Well, it's it's gallows humor, yeah. perhaps. But he says that you know, um, Jesse Eisenberg sees you know sees him and says, "Are you serious? Why have you done this?" He goes, "Well, you know, Jews don't believe in an afterlife. Yeah, I, I got to go somewhere. I have to believe that it doesn't just end." I thought it was very interesting. I thought I thought that was something that made me feel insightful, and that maybe it's probably one of the only things. I I like that moment too. I even like more the the following scene with the parents. Um, the, the, the mother is distraught saying, you know, uh, it's one thing to know that he was a mobster, but for him to become a Christian is yeah, even worse. Yeah, I, I thought that was really good. Um, she has a very funny line where she says, Jews should have an afterlife. We'd have more, um, it'd have more customers yeah, or something exactly. like that. But then there's the, the scene with, with the, um, uh, the, the patriarch, the father figure says, I'm not afraid of death, um. I'm not saying I'm crazy about the idea, but I'm going to go into protest. And then she says, you know, he goes, I'm not afraid of death. And she says to him, well, you're too stupid to appreciate the implications. Yeah. I thought she that was, was another she good one. She was a good character. She was serving it hot every every scene. I also, and I'm I'm biased. I like um, so Leonard, the the brother of Jesse Eisenberg's sister. We're now getting too yeah. into the whole extended family. We're gonna have to post a family tree now. He's he's a, a, a he's the intellectual. He's a professor, which is another Woody Allen trope. Um, he loves to have an intellectual character, someone who's a university professor or something. But they basically only do existentialism or Russian literature. Or, yeah. It's like a very you know, well, yeah, they did mention he was a communist. 
Right. Well, he's a Marxist, which is, is you know fair. Of course, you know if he's if he's teaching at university, yeah. then of course he's communist. He has a great line towards the end of the movie where he says, um, "Socrates said that the ex- unexamined life was not worth living, but the examined one is no bargain." Which is pretty much how I describe this movie. That's, I mean, that, that, that's. I think it's a good line. Yeah, I think that's a good line, and that, it is that's good. fine if you want to um, apply it to the movie too. Basically, um, Jesse Eisenberg stays with Blake Lively. Um, he shares a kiss with Kristen Stewart in Central Park when she comes back to New York. Yeah. Um, but they, they don't go any further than that as far as, as we know. Um, Blake Lively has a dream that he's cheated on her. And um, he says to her, dreams are dreams. Which is just what she had said to him in the scene before. That's right. And as far as I can tell, that's basically the like the moral of yeah. the movie is, is dreams are dreams. Which is also the moral, I think, of La La Land. Or maybe not. No, because they, they, they get their dreams. They, they all... <laughs> well, maybe that's what makes them different movies. There's an interesting thing. Like, this and La La Land... But they both love jazz. It's just the fact that they came out in the same year and are mostly set in... Although this film might actually be mostly set in New York. I'd have to look at it. And then they have a relationship, then they split up, and then they come back into each other's lives with other people. Right. S- uh, spoiler alert for La La Land. Yeah. Spoiler alert, guys. Uh, this movie had some good music, though. Um, the the nightclub singer. I did really like the 1930s music. Yeah, but that's also any Woody Allen movie. I mean, Jeepers Creepers! What a great song! It really gets you in the 30s mood. As the credits rolled, Caroline said, "Woody Allen, he should make good films rather than making a movie a year," which I think yeah. is kind of the point yeah. was made at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, just you know, put, pump the brakes a little, Woody. Just you know, to put some thought into it. That's Cafe Society in a nutshell. In a little, um, yeah, in a little tiny nutshell. Now, there's something that we're going to be doing on the podcast where, because I'm typically going to be taking the pro Woody Allen, or at least I'll say the generous you know, position. Yeah, I'm not even going to say I'm going to be negative every time, but I might be negative every time. So, uh, we're going to read some reviews that IMDb users... Uh, User reviews from IMDb for Cafe Society. Okay. Um, I picked a couple um, negative reviews. Oh, because I also picked negative reviews. Oh, you did not not do positive reviews? I couldn't. Listen, I couldn't do positive, Curry, because listen to me. I couldn't read them. I thought this person watched a different movie. Okay, well, in, in, in the future, I, I think we up. should do we okay. should do we should do positive. You and, read one, and, read. and then I'll read a positive one. So, so I've I've got a couple negative ones here. So, the, the first negative review is from P Wiener five nine two fifty five twenty seven seventy eight. Oh gosh, don't! That's my username. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! All right, this that's might have me. been. We said you were in Ann Arbor, which is strange. Just trying to throw me off your yeah. I didn't trail. want people to know where I was. All right, P Wiener wrote <laughs> F. It is a complete failure. Hands down, the worst film he's ever made. And I, Curry, so this is this is not the worst film Woody Allen's ever made. It's pretty um, consistent. All right, he goes on. Or she. Embarrassing. Pathetic. 713 cinematic cliches strung together almost at random. Many of them ones he himself coined 40 years ago. Here are the same jokes. Perpetrating Jewish stereotypes. I guess he means perpetuating. Harping mothers. Facial characteristics. I don't know what that means. 
I didn't know that facial characteristics was a thing. Uh, Spinoza, waffling intellectuals, the same unattainable romantic ingenue uh, falling unbelievably for a schlep. Poor Woody has become a senile old man playing chopsticks on an out-of-tune piano. Wow. Trapped in his own legend and incapable of a single new idea. Think Grandpa and Depends crashing your teenage daughter's pajama party. Wow. All right, and uh, another uh, person who hated it, this is um, Zerbil Zerbil Vaseline. What an utterly pointless movie this was. It's even pointless to say that this movie was pointless. It was that pointless. (laughs) The lead character Jesse was portraying was pointless. The pointless romance they had with Kristen was pointless. Carell was pointless. The loudmouth neighbor was pointless, and his pointless death delivered via the pointless mobster brother Ben was again pointless. So we now know that Woody, that witty Woody that made us laugh and become awestruck at his genius simultaneously so many times over and over again, has now become a very old, senile man that can hardly even do a pointless speakover in a pointless movie. We now know that he still needs more money, and so he tries to ride on his old waves, and so he regurgitates this pointless, stale piece of drab cinema so that for old time's sake, people will drop a few more pennies into his coffers. Pointless, really. I just want to say some 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 really funny thing. Number one, I, I think that's a really funny review. Um, pointless is a very harsh word, though. So I was trying to skim to find... Uh, a positive review that I felt like I could put out into the universe and read with my own voice. Um, and I got, uh, I found one, I found one. Okay. Um, and I, I need you to, to, to read this name to me. Corey Stoll. No, the one below it. Parker. Oh, uh, Tony Sinico. Yeah. To- Is it Sinico? Sirico? From the Supreme Tony Sirico. Yeah, okay. I don't know. I don't know. The person in who wrote this review, which gave it a nine out of ten stars, talked about Tony Sirico's cameo. As the best part of the movie. As a good part of this movie. Let me just tell you, that's not that's how bad this movie is. That man doesn't say anything and is in a scene where people are eating meatballs in a closed restaurant. And I thought, ooh, is that that guy from The Sopranos? But this person is like, hey, great to see this guy. He's got this cameo. You can't... I mean, there are other things they talk about, but if you got to... This guy's drawn for straws. This guy's drawn for straws. Well, people people, people do love The Sopranos, I think. Caroline, do you think that this movie was a... Uh, do you think it was a financial hit, or do you think it was a flop? Um, you know, as I remember when this movie came out, knowing that you had watched... All the other Woody Allens. Um, and I remember you attempting to lure me into seeing this movie with you, but I don't recall us ever seeing it, so I'm going to go ahead and say flop. If you're not seeing it, nobody else is. All right. Uh, Cafe Society had a budget of um, $30 million. Which seems ridiculous. It <laughs> seems ridiculous. In the U.S. and Canada, it made $11 million. Ooh. But in other countries, it made $32.7 million. So its total gross is 43.8. Oh, so they, so it, they it, dug out. It, it made its money back. Just barely, but they dug out, yeah. Do you think, it, it, um, do you think it's fresh or rotten on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, I, I, I think it's, it's rotten. It's fresh. So fresh is, I think it's got to be 70%. 
Wait, fresh means it's good. Fresh is good. I don't believe that's accurate. That but if you also read these reviews on IMDb, like, I bet $10 million of that budget just went to making sure people write them good reviews on the internet. You think they paid Pee Wiener in Yeah, somebody paid Pee Wiener to be like, whoa, this movie. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes consensus is um, lovely visuals and charming performances round out a lightweight, late-period Alan comedy whose genuine pleasures offset its amiable predictability. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, I can kind of agree with that. I, I can will, agree with that. I will say really quick, um, Cafe Society, as far as where the title comes from, um, it was uh, a phrase coined by a writer in 1915 to refer to um, beautiful people and bright young things. Well, they who, said it in the movie one time. I think the, the Woody Allen narration. Yeah. He said, it, he said it one time. Okay. He, he says Cafe Society. I don't know if they give it context. Oh, so no. But people who surprising because they give everything else unnecessary context. Well, that's true. Um, who gathered in fashionable cafes and restaurants in New York, Paris, and London. But I also found out doing my, my research that there was also a, a New York City nightclub called Cafe Society that opened in 1938. So it could have, you know, in the kind of time period that the movie is set and um, was one of the first racially integrated nightclubs in the United States. Oh, good for Cafe Society. Featured uh, jazz musicians and stand-up comedians. So I'm almost certain Woody Allen would be aware of, I'm sure he's aware of the, the nightclub Cafe Society. Well, one should hope. Any final thoughts on Cafe Society, Carolyn? Um, I I didn't like it. Uh, I I I think this was a rocky start to this experiment. I really I want to I'm and I will tell you all as um, the listeners I am trying to not be very biased off the bat. Uh, with these movies, I'm trying to to really open up and see if I can get a different meaning. From them, and, and and luckily I haven't seen a majority of them. Korea's seen all of them, so I am getting you know the first viewing on a lot of things. But to start with this movie and to have this movie be made now, I, I it just seemed so bad to start with. I'm hoping that the one we draw next is is a, is good. I'm going to go back to James Bond really quickly just to, to sum up my, my feeling toward this movie. People who love James Bond films, I don't think there's many people who, who would argue that those are some of the best movies ever made. No, they're definitely not. But you judge them in terms of their own thing, like they're James Bond movies. Right, like this is a good James – yeah, who's your favorite Bond? Um, you know, I, I think that um, um, Tomorrow Never Dies, I'm never going to argue for that being a great work of cinema – I would, and actually, I shouldn't. Is that be, the one he drives around in the tank? Uh, no, that's Goldeneye. Oh, Goldeneye. So, so good. Goldeneye. Yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. look, Goldeneye is a good fucking yeah. movie. Um, or, or Goldfinger is one that that's generally accepted yeah. one of the best um, uh, James Bond films. But you judge them in in relation to other James Bond films, okay, rather yeah. than to. And so, for me, where I'm coming from is I I think about how does this movie relate to other Woody Allen films, in the whole span of cinema. It's not the worst piece of crap I've ever seen, but I, I put it in the same category as those bad movies I have seen on international flights yeah, on an airplane. Like that one about Bigfoot. Um, in terms of Woody Allen, the whole canon of Woody Allen films, it's probably low middle. Um, there are That does not give me hope for this experiment. Oh, low middle? There are, there, <laughs> there are worse Woody Allen oh. films. Um, 
All right. Well, this has been fun. I think this has been fun. This has been very good. We are now, Caroline, would you please... Oh, yeah. So okay. I have the... We got the bag. All right. That is the, the rest of the Woody Allen films. Caroline, please draw one, and we'll find out which Woody we'll be watching to discuss and... Shuffle them up good. Yeah, I'm shuffling in my off-brand plastic. I'm nervous. Uh, zip top bag. All right, uh, just read the title. Ignore the number. Ooh, I'm not feeling good about this because I think you uh, made a joke about it earlier. But our next film is Celebrity by Woody Allen. Holy shit! <laughs> um, I'm uh, excited. I, well, I did bring up Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, Is he in this one? He's in. Ooh, I do love he's him. He's in Celebrity uh, very briefly, although they built the entire promotional campaign around his. Oh, uh, can't wait. His scene. Oh wow! Okay, we oh, are yeah. watching Celebrity next time. Can't wait. Carolyn, uh, this has been fun. Thank you very much. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Take the Movie and Run. Bye.